You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and we are joined today by someone who we have referred to many times uh, returning to the show. He goes by many names. Some people call him the maven. Some people call him the sheriff of the Cannabis Wild West. I call him AB. His name is Alan Brockstein. Thank you for joining, sir. It's great to be here, MJ. <laughs> how, how are things going, Alan? Really well. It's been. Uh, uh, there's one thing I can always say about this industry, no matter what. It's interesting. Yeah, I was going to say uh, before we did this, I actually went back and listened to the episode we did, which is in June, so so almost six months ago now, Alan. And uh, I was just laughing and thinking, yeah, and and absolutely nothing interesting has happened since then. Well, not only that, I was thinking a little bit about it without listening to it and just thinking about how wrong I was to tell people to be patient. <laughs> I mean, I should have said GTFO uh, uh-huh. and not be patient. But, you know, really long-term investors, it was the right thing. Be patient. And uh, unfortunately, this has been a year of patience testing, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it, it's funny too, right? Because the episode last time was called patience will be rewarded right and it and will it, it's just from a better level <laughs> you know it's just such a funny sign of the times i guess where we go you know what does he mean like that was six months ago i've been patient for six months what's I happening know. yep and in, but, in but cannabis months, years this is like seven years right, right exactly <laughs> right. but but six months is actually not a long amount of time is what i'm getting at right in terms of patience six months is not really a good taste test of people's patience that's true but one thing I will just just to start bring up is that, you know, I, I think one of the things in this industry is it's really easy to get carried away when things get exciting, right? And it's easy to get uh, really down when things don't look so good. Um, and, you know, you have been somebody who's always helped me in that regards because I use 420i basically every day and I listen to, you know, basically what's coming out of your, of your brain on the website every day. Um, and for example... If we rewind to the beginning of this year when Georgia flipped and everybody got really excited and it was a very exciting time, um, you know, you, you really didn't change in that you kept saying, look, legalization, any federal change is very complex and will take a lot of time. And just something like having as simple of a reminder as that helped me to prevent myself from doing stupid things when it was a really exciting time. I'm glad. I, I think... Uh... I, maybe to a fault, Manish, I tend to fade the crowd. And the crowd is sometimes right, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. often. And it goes like, you know, these things can go on for a long time. But I think, you know, if I reflect on what I got right and what I got wrong this year, you know, I was right in two regards. Number one, coming into the year uh, was not my kind of market. You know, mm-hmm. we, we just soared in Q4. And yet I told everybody to, to, you know, let it go, ride, keep it on black or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the second thing I got right was, was, you know, clearly calling the top. And, uh, what I got wrong though, uh, has been very painful, which is, you know, just how long this has lasted 
uh, and you know, people call it a bear market and, Mm -hmm. you know, we can get into the semantics of it. I don't think it's a bear market the way I think about it, but it is one nasty correction. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's nasty. And Mm -hmm. it's been deeper and longer than I would have expected. But, you know, in hindsight, I've been following the space long enough to know that's unfortunately the way it works. What is the way it works, sorry? The things, the pendulum in the cannabis space swings outside the, the clock. It like breaks the box on both sides. <laughs> you know, like, look, it, it wasn't even two years ago that I was really worried about, you know, will there even be a legal cannabis industry or they can all run out of money because of the mm-hmm. vaping crisis and then uh, the pandemic. And, and then the pendulum swing to people saying, oh, we're going to legalize next week, which I, you know, neither of those... I mean, I actually think the first one might have happened. It would have been very interesting to see, you know, if the if the world didn't bounce. Uh, it, it was a precarious situation for a, a lot of cannabis companies. But, uh, you know, that's really it. The pendulum swings a bit too far. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to, um, you know, our last episode, which I, I just listened to, it was it was funny to hear you talk about something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is that that the the way retail investors work, right? And a big theme of ours has been, you know, retail investors at the end of the day are acting on, you know, human emotions and even institutional investors are to some degree driven by those emotions. Oh, to right? a lot degree. Don't don't yeah. don't get don't give them a free pass for sure. Oh, I agree. I mean, I always say like look, everyone at at some, at some level is retail, right? Because yep. they're being driven by the same emotions that we kind of laugh and say retail investors are driven by, but that's my point is that they're not that unique. The same emotions apply to everybody. So one of the things you mentioned was, look, this is just the way the world works. When when the markets are going up, you know, retail investors want to come in and participate. And when they're going down, it's very, very difficult to attract new retail money unless they had already invested in the previous market. Yeah. So can you, t- I'm just curious because you've, and this is a good time to get in your background a little bit for those who don't know it. You've been in this industry a long, long time. Could you talk a little bit about your background and also, you know, what you've seen in terms of the cyclicality of the sector? Sure. So, yeah, as, as you know, I was uh, from the regular investment world, and uh, I started off uh, in on Wall Street in fixed income and in bonds, and uh, made the switch to stocks uh, back in uh, at, for the uh, century and millennium, I guess. And uh, right, right around the turn of the century, mm-hmm. I uh, started working at a uh, uh, an investment advisor firm that managed, I think, $550 million at its mm-hmm. peak when I was there. Uh, when I got there, it was, uh, I think, just under $100 million. It, it, it was a mid-cap growth uh, kind of focus. And so uh, it was kind of a tough transition for me. Fun, but tough to go from bonds to stocks. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, So in any event, to fast forward, uh, uh, back in uh, 2013, uh, I was working for myself as an independent analyst. I was working with a handful of uh, funds. I was also running uh, a service uh, on Marketify, which uh, is owned by Benzinga and which hosts my 420 investor service. And I was uh, as well writing, I was one of the actually most prolific contributors at the time to Seeking Alpha. So hmm. uh, that's kind of what I was doing at the time. And I stumbled onto the cannabis sector uh, through a Seeking Alpha article that I read. And I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't even realize Colorado and, and Washington had voted to legalize. So we're talking about right, right at the beginning of 2013. So that was the, tw- the 2012 elections. And uh, so this had always been a passion of mine. I, I was a consumer in college and right out of college, but that's not 
what I was passionate about, honestly. Okay. It was more about the uh, individual uh, liberty. Uh, and I, I was pretty much a know nothing. I didn't know the word cannabis. I, you know, it was marijuana. But uh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I had a large following and I started writing about this because it was interesting. And, you know, the sector back then was uh, maybe uh, 15 or 20 companies, none of which were real, right? I mean, okay. G- GW Pharma was, was the one real company at the time. Uh, the rest of them were posers. And, uh, of course, you know, nobody, none of them were plant touching, but, you know, they were all talking about things, not really doing anything, it's all trading on the OTC. This was before any Canadian LPs uh, had gone public or anything like that. So I, I was able to, to, through my writing on Seeking Alpha, quickly, and I was pretty negative on the cannabis space. So I, I guess I did two things at once. Number one, I shared my, my thoughts kind of in real time and developed, uh, kind of transitioned a, a small portion of my following uh, at, at seeking alpha and that end up market fi. And then, uh, the other thing more important initially, I'd say is I, I learned a lot. I learned about the medical benefits. I learned about social issues and I was hooked. And so I, I started 420 investor at the end of 2013 in September. And uh, it was a couple of years later that we launched new cannabis ventures. And, uh, you know, it, it really took off at the beginning of 2014 when, uh, Colorado actually opened the doors and mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was pretty crazy. I got interviewed live by BBC. So that kind of tells you <laughs> what kind of world we were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't find anybody else. So uh, seriously, there, there weren't really any people paying that much attention and that were professional right. investors. So to get to the other part of your question, it, it's been a boom bust. And I, I, I know I talked about this previously. I haven't referred back to uh, this uh, terminology much recently, but somebody asked me about it the other day. So I I talked about how uh, we've been through waves. And that first wave, all the companies, I mean, none of them were good. They were all shit shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and the industry was actually growing, but it it wasn't reflected. These companies that were out there weren't actually publicly traded. So it was really a private market and the public stocks were farces. And that was the first wave. And then the second wave was really, uh, you know, uh, it, it started in after that uh, first wave crashed. Uh, that that okay. wave, second wave, we started to see a few more companies. They tended to be Canadian, obviously. Mm-hmm. And in that second wave, uh, there were some big catalysts like the election of 2016 mm-hmm. uh, and then also uh, California legalizing. And uh, so, so that was kind of the, the second wave. And, and I, the way I define it anyway, the third wave began uh, at that bottom in March of 20. And so we've seen there's a, a, several things that we've seen over and over and over. Number one, there's a lot of opportunists in the sector, even to this day. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, it maybe there's just two things, but these were the first two that jumped out. I'm sure I can think of another, but number two is that everything takes longer than you'd expect. And I guess <laughs> number three is, I guess the point I made earlier that the pendulum just swings very viciously, right. uh, with investor sentiment here. Right. Right. And so, you know, talking about uh, cycles and, and how they work, right. I mean, one of the things that's confusing, um, is that, when we look at how things are shaping up this time around, 
it does really seem like this time is different, which is oh, yeah. And you're not those- supposed to say that. I've been saying <laughs> it for a long time, and it, you're. It's always like, don't say that. It's never different, but it is. And I, Manish, yeah, was, it's so different because we're yeah. not having a capital mm-hmm. crunch uh, yep. like we always have in the past. You're probably about to get there, but that's one of the things that's kept me optimistic despite mm-hmm. this uh, pullback, correction, consolidation, bear market into the mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. <laughs> lasting longer than I would have expected, going deeper. Which is, you know, we are seeing the capital markets uh, on the debt side and sale leaseback side really broaden and mm-hmm. and go deeper with the existing companies, and it's it's been amazing. Yeah, no, and, and I was just uh, saying, like, you know, the minute I say this time is different, I have to jump in and say, no, 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 but you know, you know, because you're not supposed to say that, but you know, to your point, I mean, that's one one thing you mentioned, right? The cap, the fact that capital is available through debt sale leaseback. Um, you know, it's still available through equity, to be clear, but people don't want to raise equity today. Yeah, we haven't really seen any equity offerings for the most part. I mean, the last one I remember was Hexo. That didn't go well, did it? <laughs> no, it did, did, <laughs> did, did not. But I, I mean, MSOs could raise equity today. It's just they don't want right, to. Right, right. Right. So, and so I, you know, and I, I don't know the right answer. I mean, it's, it's, I think we should all be asking, you know, how much sales lease back and how much debt can these you know, semi-cyclical companies that are federally illegal take on. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very, you know, two-sided debate, in my opinion. I feel like, uh, you know, I think in some cases, some companies might be a little stretched, but Mm -hmm. for the most part, uh, these companies are being very prudent. So it is very different from the past. In the past, these companies couldn't raise capital and uh, they finally were able to sell equity into a rallying market in in, uh, in January and early February. Yeah, and, and kudos to them, right? They they yep. timed it really well, and and yep. it's important to remember at that time it wasn't that easy of a decision because, yeah, now we look at it and go, of course you raised money then, right? But if you actually, when we were actually there experiencing it, it looked like the stocks were going to double tomorrow. Yeah. In fact, in fact, they would raise at, you know, whatever, $10 a share. And the next day it would go up 10 or 20%. And we went, oh, I guess the old rules that we're used to where you raise equity and your stock goes down, I guess that doesn't apply anymore. Yeah, it's no, a that, new world. Don't new say dynamic. this time's different for that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why it's so tricky, right? Because yeah. every time you think the paradigm has shifted, typically you end up going back to the rules of gravity, like they still apply. Yeah. Um, but once in a while, things do change and they really do become different. And that's kind of, that's a really, I think the art versus the science of investing, figuring out, you know, when you actually are in exceptional circumstances. I think another difference worth noting is the investor base broadened. And, uh, you know, that's part of that whole equity race thing. But we, mm-hmm. we definitely saw more institutions and institutional type of investors come in. And in, in the past, I, I think what people would say is, look, these these folks, these guys and gals that manage money for others, they would love to put these stocks in their funds. But all they can do is put it in their own Mm-hmm. accounts, personal accounts, and that's what they've been doing. But things really did change. And we saw, you know, unfortunately, some of what we saw got pulled back like Wasatch, which had bought a bunch of MSOs and was forced to sell them in March. But yep. uh, but for the most part, uh, we've seen that. And, I, I, you know, one of the things I uh, started to track very early on and, and made a big call on was MSOS. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it or don't like it, and that we could talk about that. It, it has been phenomenal what has happened there in terms of allowing more investors into the space. Yeah, no question. So let's talk about, 
you know, on 420i, and, and I think people always have a hard time um, understanding 420i because it, it's a complicated offering, right? It's one of those things where if you're just, you're not part of it, it's hard to really understand what it is. So uh, I'd love for you just for a second to talk about how you think about 420i and what you try to provide there. Yeah. So, you know, from day one, uh, it was driven by people asking for help. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't decide to start it on my own. People reached out to me and said, hey, you know, you're doing this kind of thing already from, uh, you know, where you have a, a service. Uh, and, and by the way, that service was nothing like 420i, okay. uh, but uh, it was just trade alerts. That's all it was. Okay. But, uh, uh, you know, maybe I had some, re- I, I must have shared some research. I don't think I would just do trade alerts, but I, I don't remember. It's been a while. But uh, so, you know, there was a need and the need, you know, at the time, as I said at the beginning, there were, were all these fake companies and i, I I felt really badly about charging people money to tell them not to buy stocks, but mm-hmm. it it was the right thing. And I said, you know, we will evolve. the The industry will, you know, the stocks will match the industry over time, and uh, that certainly became the case. Really, really, the moment that I got most excited uh, was when GTI went public. It was mm. uh, really the first time. Yeah, GTI and MedMen, to be perfectly frank, but it was the first time that real American companies, and they, they did it through Canada, and that mm-hmm. was you know something new that we all had to learn about. But uh, so so 420i has always been about helping people to learn about these companies, and and there's so much more in people. Uh, there's different features that attract certain people. Uh, so you know, I know that. Uh, one of the things I've, I've learned over the years is, first of all, the type of people that subscribe range from very novice investors to the, the most professional investors you can imagine in, in our space. You know, mm-hmm. people like you that are, uh, you know, high net worth individuals that know what they're doing. Uh, so a big range of people and, and with different time frames. Some people right. just want to know what stock's going to go up today. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really do that, but, you know, which one's going to go up in the short term and, you know, if I could give them the name that they could hold for five years, which is a question I never really like in this industry, yeah. but, you know, I get that one too. So, you know, the offering has a lot. It has, so first of all, it has, uh, and I'm, I'm not going in any special order, but it has a, a monthly newsletter mm-hmm. and that's offered standalone. So people that aren't necessarily uh, into the multiple touch points and just want kind of a high level once in a while perspective uh, that's that's sold separately but i i like doing that it's a it is probably my most you know longest term kind of thinking that i share and mm-hmm. each each month during the month i write three articles it took me i don't know six years to figure this out but i i didn't have to wait till the end of the month to share that information so <laughs> i i don't know sometimes you have these aha moments or it's more like a duh moment but uh so i share those during the month and there's some pretty cool articles they're they're deep dives on companies or yep. i think this month i i went through all the names on my focus list and uh just kind of shared not in any methodical way necessarily but shared you know pros and cons about the management teams, yep. something yep. different. And uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, we have, uh, I do 10 videos a week. Uh, the the one that's probably the most important is the weekend video, which is a mm-hmm. true labor of love for not only me, the creator, but also those that listen to it because it's long and, uh, you know, it tends to be about two and a half hours. And 
it's not only looking at charts, but kind of talking about, and, and that's another thing, Manish, that some people like to read, some people like to listen and, mm -hmm. or look. And mm -hmm. uh, so the videos are kind of interesting in that regard. You, know, you don't have to read my words. You, you get to hear them and look at the pictures as I'm looking at. So then there's all sorts of other things I do every Friday night. Uh, I put out a weekly review for those that maybe aren't plugged in all during the week, but they want to know what was important. And I also... Uh, take my model portfolios and break down their exposures versus my index so people can understand that like right now I have a lot of MSOs and mm -hmm. I have more uh, Canadian LPs maybe than I've had, but it's underweight, things like that. Uh, and then I also each week take a different time frame and compare all these different subsectors and the stocks within them to kind of see just to give people a different look. It's just a graphical look at what's going on in the market. Uh, and I, I, I was doing that on my own. And I said, you know, I'll share this with everybody because I found myself sometimes sharing it in my videos. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'll just do this. So I, as, since, since the pandemic, I've added a lot of things. So uh, what else do I have? The model portfolios. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to skip so, over the crown jewels. Well, so I don't think they're the crown jewels. So, and I'm very mixed. And, you know, there have been points in time. That, okay, let's start at the beginning. My my subscribers wanted me to do model portfolios, and I okay. was reluctant. And uh, I I I I never wanted to create like a uh, you know uh, a bunch of sheep, a flock mm -hmm. of sheep, and mm -hmm. uh, I never want or penguins or whatever you want to call them. To just <laughs> copy what you do and go do it and create a stampede when they're buying and selling. I I, was, yeah. I just. That was not my, that's not me. That's not my style. And, uh, but you know, when you have a model portfolio, that does happen. And uh, so started off with one model portfolio that I call Flying High. And it, it was kind of not as well-defined as it should have been. And mm -hmm. now it's better defined, but it's a swing trading uh, model portfolio. And it's up a lot year to date, despite the fact it was up a lot more before. Sure. Uh, so the idea there is to, it's concentrated, the position sizes are 10 to 20%. And the idea is, you know, try to find the stocks are going to move a lot in the next few weeks. And uh, so that that's one model portfolio. It's been around for a long time. And I, I've created two other that are more my style. They're measured against a benchmark, which is mm -hmm. one of my issues with the ETF MSOS that they don't even have a benchmark, mm -hmm. but, uh, mm -hmm. and so the goal of both of these, uh, I call them, uh, 420 opportunity. And then, uh, the newer one, which isn't new anymore, 420 quality, subtle differences. there, not even worth going over, but those model portfolios and it, it's, you know, I, I have to explain it over and over. There's no market timing there. They're, they're pretty much fully invested. There've been a couple of points in time, like when Jeff Sessions pulled the rug out from under and also, uh, the, uh, uh, at the peak this year, I, I, I did something, you know, I, I moved to very close to the maximum amount of cash that I'm allowed because I, I felt like it, it was so extreme, but mm -hmm. I, I generally don't do that. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm not going to market time. The idea is if you want to invest in the cannabis space, these are the stocks to own right now. And I don't have the, these are the ones to own for the next five years, but people can figure that out if they want from listening to me. And then there's one other thing before we go on the, the forum. And so I post a lot of news and uh, so, you know, earnings season has been brutal. Uh, the, there's more and more companies that I'm following that are, you know, actually worth talking about that mm -hmm. have earnings and stuff. And I provide previews and, you know, write-ups in advance. And those things take like 30 minutes to an hour each. And then I do the, the filings review afterwards. So there's, 
the forum has a lot of information in it, including that stuff in, a, in others, daily news, things like that. So I don't know. It's a lot. It's so much. I like some people I have to tell, I don't think you're going to like this. You're, you're not going to be able to navigate it. There's too much. You know, it's, it's a complicated offering. And um, look, I, I think I've been pretty clear that for, I think it works out to 50 bucks a month. Um, I don't think there is a better value in the industry. So I, I say that just truly having been, I think I'm onto my third year or something now yep. of, of yep. using it. So, uh, you know, I, I love what it, what's there. And when people ask me, what's the be- best podcast in the industry to listen to? I say the best podcast is not a podcast. It's Alan Broxine's Saturday, you know, three hour from the top of the head. Here's every, you know, major focus list name and some others. Um, and I always listen to that just, just so you know where I come from. So at full speed or half or at two times speed. You know, I maybe it's because I like podcasts, but I can't listen to something at half or at double speed. Wow, it's, I find it very weird. I need to hear the person's tone. Now that being said, I don't listen to the Canadian half of it. You know, I listen to oh, the part you, that I, you that I care, what about. You care about. Guys. Yeah, exactly. Right, but but that's that being still a lot. I appreciate that. Uh, that that is a a big compliment that you listen. Well, to look, look, I mean, uh, well, listen. It, it for me, I want to go into every week having. Uh, being as as best equipped as I can for what's about to happen, right? Even if this week or that week, I might not trade anything, right? But, um, you know, we want to be ready, right? So I want to match my thinking up against your thinking. Sometimes it's just little tidbits here and there. But, you know, that's what I always say to people. Like, when you're looking at services like this, or, or like, you know, when I look at, for example, buying a book uh, in general on investing, if you can get one interesting tidbit or idea, Oh, yeah. That you can apply in your life. I mean, that's worth fifty bucks a month all day long. Uh, I agree. It's it's kind of funny. I didn't think that at first. I was never a subscriber to an investment service myself, and I was like, "Wow, you know, I, I'm kind of this is weird. People paying this much." But over the years, I, I I've learned from hearing from people like you and and others that they do get a lot of value out of it. So. Works out for everybody. <laughs> okay, so so d- digging into the model portfolios this is what I want to talk to you about because sure, you know I've been able to watch over your shoulder because what people don't, probably don't understand. So what happens is when you make this trade, um, it, it's the the system's pretty cool. So you're making like these sort of real time trades. It's, it's paper, you know, money. But we, you know, if we if you sign up for it, you get a text. So I get a text every time you make a trade that hey, I you know sold X to buy Y, right? Um, and it, you know, sometimes you'll explain your thinking. Sometimes it's pretty self-explanatory. But um, and sometimes I'll say in advance. By the way, right, right. And a lot of times it'll be, oh, I've heard him talk about this idea on yeah. the weekend, and now it's kind of playing out because stock A went down five, whatever. Like it just well, makes I, sense. I, to I do even uh, I got into the habit of uh, putting potential trades in writing in the summary of that video. Interesting. Okay, so th- there you go. I didn't even look at that. I didn't even look at that. But but, but, but for flying high, you know, for okay, that moment. I got you. So but just so, so people know, you know, I like to be as transparent as I can. Yeah, so my question to you is this, right? Getting into your portfolio and, and you know, seeing the trades you make, how do you think about yourself? Are you a trader or are you an investor? You know, I'm both. And I, I think, so there's this, these debates that I think there's, people are debating and they're, they're, they're not going to win. The, what's better, technical analysis or fundamental analysis? Mm-hmm. What's better, short-term or long-term? And I, I have to tell you, you know, there are some tax reasons to hold on to stocks for a year or longer. I get mm-hmm. it. And, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes people get around that by having tax-exempt accounts. So sure. uh, I, I, I tell you, I'm not the best trader. I'm not the best 
investor. I'm not the best technical analyst. I'm not the best fundamental analyst, but I, I will go to the floor with anybody on all of those combined, you right. know, and I think that's a big difference to, to try to try to, you know, open your mind to, to the idea that you have uh, a quiver with lots of different arrows in it. And, and mm -hmm. a lot of people just want to pick up one arrow and just use that one arrow. Yeah, no, you're, you're making a great point. I'm, I'm asking you this question specifically because, you know, when I got into the industry coming from the real estate perspective, I always thought, oh, I'm here for the long term, right? I'm here to to invest fundamentally in a company that will do really well. Well, when I entered in 2017, I mean, the fundamentals just weren't there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so so very quickly, I realized, like, okay, this is really more speculative than I first anticipated. Uh, but then I realized, hey, that is a good thing. We can actually make a lot of money because of how speculative it is and because of how crazy these things trade, right? And that was all great until it wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, when, when everything's going down, you, you, know, you can't. But, you know, that's been one of my secrets, by the way. The volatility okay. of the market is, is your friend. And if you're a long-term investor not willing to trade, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you could get more complicated. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's just say options traded absurdly expensive, but you don't want to write call options against your portfolio. Mm -hmm. It's almost the same thing. It's like you're doing yourself a disservice in, unless there's a tax reason. You're doing yourself mm -hmm. a disservice by not taking advantage of the volatility. I, I think that's, you know, being somebody that's watching this market every single day and dreaming about it at night as well. Mm -hmm. it, you know, that's been, you know, uh, We've talked about uh, this concept called trading around the core. And so mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't go chase stocks just for technical reasons. So I tend to focus on the ones where I have, uh, where I like the valuation or fundamentals or something like that. But uh, certainly, uh, I, I'll give you like a, a real example. It, mm -hmm. it, it was a very poorly timed idea, but uh, I had a, a relatively small position in GTI mm -hmm. and I, I sold it to buy True Leave. True Leave had been hammered, okay. and uh, and then uh, uh, you know I'm looking at where it is now, and of course it got a lot better because I bought back. I, I didn't. I don't think I still held True Leave at the time, but I somehow ended up you know selling the True Leave to buy Verano and doing this and doing that, and yep. I ended up getting GTI near the bottom. And so, mm -hmm. and I looked at it just recently. I'm like, wow, you know. That was a really good idea at the time, even though mm -hmm. I didn't stick with it the whole time per se. But the idea, you know, there, I see a lot of people out there and they're like, oh, GTI is the best. I'd never sell it. Well, okay, that's fine. That's up to you. But the reality is, you know, every now and then GTI gets clocked like it did, you know, ahead of its earnings report. Yeah. And look, there's different strategies for different people, right? I mean, um, like I follow everybody and, and, you know, very few people, tiny percentage of people, if anything, are paying attention the way you're paying attention. So, it, you know, if somebody is kind of just checking in every once in a while, then maybe holding your best positions and a tiny bit of trading is the way to go. Right. right? But right. if you have your finger on the pulse, we talk about here all the time, I think there are great opportunities to outperform, you know, if, if you're willing to move around. Um, but that being said, you want to have a core because playing around too much, you could end up getting yourself into trouble when there's so much meat on the bone of these names that it's right. like, hey, go well, down it, the middle and you're going to do fine. So, you know, GTI, unfortunately, from my perspective, has been too expensive to be a core name. So it's mm -hmm. been, I've been more opportunistic about that. I'll give you another example. Air, not on my focus list. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, n nothing against air, but uh, 
I have so many MSOs on my focus list and uh, I try to keep that focus list balanced and also limited so it is truly focused. And But, you know, I did a model portfolio trade. I can't put non-focus list names in one of those, but uh, in, in the one that I can, I ended up buying air the morning they after they reported and I bought it at 1670. I, I have to say I sold it already. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, that was a more tact tactical type of thing. But, you know, it's not just what I do. I told everybody in advance of, that I thought that that stock was going to make a new low and here's why. And pretty much was what I said. And so I felt like I, I was really in the right position to do that tactical uh, portfolio adjustment. Yeah. And look, I mean, like that's a great example of, you know, Air is one of the companies on your Saturday video. Right. Profile. Even though it's not on the focus list. That's right. I, I cover a lot of things that I don't officially cover. Yeah. And, and so it's one of those companies where it's like, you know, it, you have your eyes on it. You're following everything the company does. So the day it drops 10% and you like the valuation, you're able to pick it up. Yeah. Now you, you sold it, but that was purely just, you know, you saw an opportunity and you took it, right? But yeah, to buy a send. I love to buy right. It's, uh, <laughs> I, it's, so what happened was I have this two day rule and okay. uh, uh, I try to treat my model portfolios like they're non-margin accounts. Cause I, you know, I want to be at the lowest common denominator and I don't want to lead people into uh, uh, f uh, free writing violations. So I bought the air on Monday with something that I sold to buy it. Maybe mm -hmm. it wasn't, maybe it was a send actually. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, the way it worked, I, I couldn't sell uh, the air till Wednesday. I ended up buying back the ascend before. I don't know exactly what I did, but so there's a small part, but I, I think it really gets to your point of trading versus investing. Look, I've had a, a big position in Cresco for a long time, but mm -hmm. it hasn't been the exact same number of shares. It goes up and down all the time. And so that's really, a, you know, I, I might sell Cresco to buy air to take advantage of that short-term thing, but I'm going to still hold a lot of Cresco. And truthfully, they, the stocks do move pretty similarly. So it's, you know, it's, you really have to really be on it to take advantage of that stuff. Sure. And, and so I, I guess my question to you, Alan, is that, um, from, a a trading versus investing perspective, uh, you, you know, you, you talked about the secret to success is really blending them, right? And not being married to one or the other or, or not kind of pigeonholing yourself. But, you know, we talk about the fact that the price action has been weak, right? And we said just a little bit earlier, volatility is your friend. So what really is the ideal circumstance for an investor versus a trader? And, and you know, the negativity we're seeing right now, isn't this really good for investors? So if they have more money to put to work, sure. <laughs> if okay, they're all sure. in, not so much. Sure. So, and, and by the way, that's one of the things I've really had to struggle with over the last few years that mm -hmm. people get uh, in my service, get in, in outside too, I'm sure, they get overly invested. And I, and I know you're not, but they put you know, I did a survey back in 2014 or 2015, and I found, uh, I think it was a good 10 or 15% of my subscribers were margin long the account, not Oof. just 100% invested, but more than 100% invested. Yeah. So I think in general, I, I find myself saying a lot, uh, you know, don't put all your money into the sector. Don't put it all into one part of the market. Don't put it all into one name. And these things seem obvious, I know, but uh, they're not to everybody. No, so, listen, I, they're not obvious to me either, by the way. <laughs> I have to remind myself of, you know, 
allocations and and diversification and stuff like that. So I mean, I think I think it's always a learning experience for all of us. And by the way, nobody's ever done any of this before in this industry, right? So it's right. brand new territory for everybody. So no, I, I don't I don't see how this is really good for investors because so I think you know unfortunately. People miss the bigger picture, and I know you and I have talked about it, which is that that the uh, if we just want to focus in on the American uh, plant touching companies, they're, they're doing really well. And mm-hmm. while this quarter was a little soft, these are companies that are going to do very well, in my opinion, over the future. But their stock prices don't aren't always correlated to that. They're correlated to this representative just farted or whatever, and <laughs> it's it's kind of annoying to me that. You know, the outside world, the media, especially just they don't get it necessarily. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we've actually made a little bit of progress this year uh, in the sense that uh, I I think the media has gotten a little bit smarter uh, about, you know, like when Representative uh, Nancy Mace uh, Mm -hmm. introduced her legislation, you know, it, it the media wasn't saying go buy canopy growth and Tilray and whatever. Not, not, not to the extent they did in the past. And so, yeah, good point. And, and, and I think investors are actually starting to get it. But the reality is, I don't think people. I think that they they make a bet. It's a mac. It's more of a macro sector. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And uh, it's not. It's a micro sector. Don't make that your title, by the way. But it really <laughs> is. It's it's really a micro sector where you have these companies, and you know, I think for the most part. Uh, these top ten or eleven uh, MSOs that have you know billionish kind of market cap. Maybe let's mm-hmm. call it a dozen companies. Companies like Planet Thirteen and Jushi mm-hmm. and down at the underneath there, uh, but the Ascends and all this world. Sure, they're they're very different. And for those of us who study them in, intensely, you know, we may come up with very strong opinions about why you want one. For instance, that's more retail focused, or one that's more CPG focused, or or what have you, or you know, some may or, like, or just the, just the price, just at, t- at today's price. I like, you know, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about beyond that. I'm saying we may, oh, sorry. we may think that there's a strategic advantage to owning, let's say a Cresco or Terrison. That's more of a branded product company okay. as opposed okay. to an ascend, uh, or, a uh, you know, there's other ones as well, but that are sure. more retail, juicy, that are more retail focused. That's all I'm saying. But the reality is I think, most people that show up, they're not, they don't care about that. They just care about when are we going to legalize? Right. It's, it's, it's annoying at best. <laughs> Frustrating. So, yeah. So I guess, let me ask you this then. Okay. Cause one of the big things I learned from you is, you know, when I came into the industry, it was all fundamentals, fundamentals, right. And, and it was like, you know, Warren Buffett says, if you buy a stock, cause you think it's going up tomorrow, you're a speculator, not an investor. Right. right. And what, what a lot of people get out of that is speculation is bad and investing is good, right? And it's it's not so clear cut. I mean, everything, to your point, everything is kind of blended together in different ways. So one of the things that I really learned over the last couple of years was the importance of technicals versus fundamentals. Right. So when we look at stuff, you know, and, and again, I'm not someone who reads charts, although I do listen, you know, to you when you're reading charts, just in terms of kind of understanding what may happen next. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I've come to appreciate is when we talk about technicals, we're really talking about capital inflows and outflows and the way money might move. So technicals, I know typically it refers to reading a chart, but it's bigger than that, right? The Mm -hmm. idea of, for example, uplisting a stock 
from a tech, you know, it doesn't really change anything from a fundamental perspective, but from a technical perspective, it just means that there's way more inflows that can now happen to a name. Right. Or and then people can short it easier, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. That that the liquidity improves from all directions. Yeah. Right. Whether it's options, whether it's shorting, whether it's buying the stock. But ultimately, right, the the impact that has in the short and medium term can totally uh uh be larger than any fundamental impact because technicals can play such an outsized role in the industry. So I'm I'm just curious. Like, you know, that's something I really learned from watching you day over day. I'm curious how you think about that, the, the role of, you know, technical and capital inflow outflows versus a company's fundamentals. Yeah, I, I've always thought technicals were kind of a, a way of measuring market psychology. And, hmm. uh, you know, I try to think like other people might think in the future. If you can, if you can be thinking today about how somebody's going to think tomorrow, you, you may develop an edge. And I, I use all sorts of things. I, I, I said earlier, and I'll say it again, I'm not the world's best technical analyst. There's all mm-hmm. sorts of things. I don't even know what the hell they are, honestly. <laughs> and I don't care. I have a few things that I like. Some of them are rather unique and proprietary and others are rather pedestrian. But uh uh, I have found that these Fibonacci retracements, uh, and I, I found that my subscribers have really appreciated me spending a lot of time on measuring these Fibonacci retracements. But I, I find you know things like open gaps on charts. Like I always get asked, who cares? Why does that even matter? And I said, mm-hmm. I don't know why it matters, but it does. And you know, you see this open gap. I real time example here, organogram. I've been talking mm-hmm. for months and months and months about. This open gap down to uh, it was uh, like a dollar ninety seven, and, and, and right before they reported, it was a dollar ninety nine. It gotten and this is on the U.S. side, but the gap was still there in Canada too, uh, more like the two fifty area. And uh, you know, sure enough, it got filled. Like it's not that I'm a genius or anything, because I'm not, but I knew that that's something traders focus on. So I think I think in this market, especially where. Um, I think uh, where, where, where it's less liquid, uh, you know, even for the more liquid names, it is less liquid than stocks in general. Uh, the technicals can have an outsized uh, influence. And uh, so it, it kind of pays to have, like I said, everything at your disposal that you can. Yeah. I mean, look, to your point, if you're, you know, this is one thing I realized, right? If you paint yourself in a box and say, I only care about fundamentals, technicals don't matter. Or I think I used to say, in the early days, I think I used to say uh, technicals are voodoo to me, mm-hmm. right? And and so I would completely ignore them. Well, then, you know, if you're ignoring things like, you know, stock unlocks and, you know, yeah. like, you know, I, I, you know, unlock schedules, for example, or, you know, uh, tax loss selling season, another yep. one that, you know, you... Yeah, I had to start talking about that one early this year, but yep. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's to your point, it's, you started talking about it before, yep. right? Because it's like, look, just be aware this might be coming down the pipe. So if you start planning ahead of it, then you can maybe trade around it, right? Or you can think of a strategy to deal with it, as opposed to if you, if you're just thinking about it now. Yep. Yeah. If you're thinking about it now, there's, you limited your options, right? Because you're only looking, you only have this much flexibility instead of a lot more. It's about, so this goes back to my Torah portion or my, uh, yeah, my Devar Torah, as they call it, and my Bar Mitzvah. So we're talking about (laughs) 43 years ago, but I remember like it was yesterday. Do you act or react? That was my Hmm. Torah portion. And and so, yeah, if you're going to be a good investor, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a, 
technical trader, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter and you just are always reacting. But if you're more of a fundamental investor or a longer term investor, you, you, you shouldn't just, you know, be uh, blindsided by what's going on in the market. You should, you know, nobody, and this is the fallacy of technical analysis. Technical analysis is about like odds. I always use the analogy of uh, blackjack. You can't, mm -hmm. you cannot expect to win every hand of blackjack, even if you play perfectly, it just doesn't work that way. You're, right. you're just trying to move the odds in, into your favor. And so I think by like, for instance, like you said, me talking about uh, tax loss selling ahead of time. So this allowed people to do things. And I, and I'm not saying I told them to do this, but uh, you know, I, I had, I don't have, but I did have a position in uh, Graham F at the time in, mm -hmm. in, in the parent company. And I said, look, you can, uh, if you want to keep your California exposure, you can sell that and buy Harborside, for instance, and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. or you can do the opposite. So it, what it allows you to do is to get that tax loss realized in October and be there in November and December. Now that Graham F has dropped another, you know, another forty or fifty percent since then, and you can then decide if you want to own it or not, not be locked in by your, your tax strategies. So, so that's it. So no, that, that's great background, but let's let's get into sort of talking about the industry at large, right? Because as you pointed out, right, for some people when the, you know, I went through this in 2019, when the industry is really getting hammered from a capital markets perspective, you know, people start to second guess and, and triple guess their thesis. And they mm -hmm. start to wonder, what have I missed? You know, am I an idiot? Um, and, and by the way, you know, talking about technicals and psychology, I can't remember when it was, but, uh, you know, maybe it was a year ago or so. And, and you know, you started off your, your video just by saying like, people like to feel good. They don't like to feel bad. And, you know, that's, that sounds very painfully obvious, but it was, it was such a good way to, to frame sort of, okay, I think people are going to start selling XYZ stock because they're, they're starting to feel stupid on owning it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this could be one that they, they buy just into instead. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so like coming to that, I'd love for, you to talk about the fact that, you know, in your portfolio, you're very heavy on the MSOs. How do you think about, in general, the MSO thesis, the business models in the context of, you know, cannabis investing? Are we on the right track? What are some risks you see? I'd love to just get you to talk about that a little bit. Yep. So uh, coming into the year, my MSO exposure was not nearly as high as it is now. I've, I've never had it this high, but I don't think the MSOs have ever look this good, honestly. And, uh, you know, if you think about what the alternatives are, uh, if you want to be in the cannabis market, there, there are a lot. You can play it through uh, Canadian LPs, uh, increasingly Canadian retailers, uh, ancillary companies, and there's all sorts of those, whether they're financial or non-financial, big and small. You can play it through, uh, there's, you know, an increasing number of biotech, biotech-related names. Uh, CBD, God help you, but yes, you can do that. <laughs> so there's a lot of different things. So when I when I look at like where the valuations are, where the growth is, trying to take into account everything, uh, uh, that uh, well, the ancillaries are looking better, I have to say. And so I've been shifting a little bit more towards those, but mm -hmm. I still, as you point out, uh, am massively overweight the MSOs right now. And what I see is a, uh, a structural challenge that I think will be resolved over time in terms of uh, the stock trading. And yep. uh, so, you know, I, I, I would. So, sorry, Alan, the, the structural part just being uplifting? 
Uh, yeah. And so, well, I don't know that we necessarily have to uplist, but what we okay. have to do is get more people comfortable with uh, being able to own uh, OTC names and, or, you know, or, or to trade in Canada. That, mm-hmm. That's really the structural problem. So okay. yes, uplisting, of course, solves the problem. But the problem is that people don't want to or can't uh, at this time, don't know how to, whatever it is, mm-hmm. don't want to or can't trade on these other exchanges. And so so the success of MSOS is, is really something that's obviated this problem a little bit, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's an indirect way of allowing people to own these companies without having the, for whatever reason, they don't do it. They don't. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if your listeners appreciate it. I've been talking about this a lot. And mm-hmm. that is that the, the flows into that uh, over the last month have been just phenomenal. I mean, unbelievable when you think about, uh, you know, what's going on with the price action and, and, and the flows are just flowing in like crazy. It's, and so, you know, one of the things when you talk about technicals, back to that, and I'll, I'll keep talking about MSOs, but this is part of it. One of the things that I like to do is notice something that maybe people aren't noticing. And, and, sure. and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think people are really picking up on what's happened over the last month. Okay. Uh, coming into November, the overall cannabis market is measured by the New Cannabis Ventures Global Cannabis Stock Index, hit a low October 29th. And we came into the month, and it's not like they started shooting up or anything, but they went up a little. But the MSOs were plunging November uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, and even on the 5th. And then all of a sudden, something changed. And, you know, that something was late in the day, the rumor about the Nancy Mace uh, State's uh, Reform Act or whatever it's called, SRA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so – that was the low for MSOs. Now, I had noticed this before in September. We had what's called a divergence in September as well, September 14th. And all you can do on these divergences is pay attention. And you can maybe speculate. But, you, you know, just like I, I said on the blackjack, just because there's a divergence doesn't mean it's the end of the trend. But sure. it looked in September like it was until it wasn't just two yep. weeks later. Mm-hmm. But this time, here we are four weeks later, almost, mm-hmm. yeah. Four weeks later, plus, four weeks plus, because tomorrow's Monday. And still, despite everything this month, including a new strain, apparently, uh, the... Uh, of COVID, not of, of cannabis. COVID, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just to be clear. True. Uh, still, the MSOs, and it's being led by the largest MSOs. So there is this huge divergence. So the rest of the market has gone on to make new lows, even as recently as last Monday or Tuesday morning intraday Monday on a closing basis. So I, I mean, I've gone out on the limb. I don't like to do this. I don't feel like I need to do it. And in the past I've been burned by doing it. So I'm a little reluctant to call bottoms, but I, I called the bottom on the MSOs uh, uh, earlier this month. And uh, this week I, I, I may be premature, but I feel like the bottom was set and uh, we'll see. I hope so. Uh, I, I think you want to talk about something else I called. I, uh, look, this is something about me. I don't like to make calls for the sake of making calls, but I feel like people are paying me for when I have uh, insight, you know, conviction into my thinking. And that doesn't mean I'm right. But if I have conviction for whatever reason, then I owe it to the people paying me to to share that with them, or in some cases, the people following as well. So uh, yeah. So so let me let me let me ask you that because you know to me you're somebody who makes predictions all the time right on 420 but, but not necessarily huge predictions like that one 
Right, right. So four twenty I you'll you'll all say, day long I'm making predictions. Yeah, you're you're saying but, but with you'll, humility, Manish. I yeah. I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean you'll you'll and and I want to be clear too, what I really appreciate is you know, it's easy to have a, a positive bias, right? Because we've all made big bets in this industry one way or the other. So your brain automatically wants you to be right. Yeah. Right. And and one of the things I appreciate about your service is that it brings up things that can be negative because I think you have to actively look for that. It's really important. Oh my God. Uh, I spend I must spend way too much time. I don't think I have to actively look for it. I find it all the time. I, I find mean, it I, hard to find. Really? I like I predicted the the error miss and mm-hmm. take down a guidance I, things like that. But I mean more of like, you know, industry-wide news like for example uh, you, you you pulled up something on pennsylvania and vape additives and and you know that could be an issue right for for oh uh, yeah uh, i didn't i but i you know that was reported in the press but yeah i got to share that stuff it's not all good it is not yeah. all good yeah my and sorry what i'm referring to is you know if you're on social media for example like on reddit um negative things about these companies do not make it to the top of the list right it just that's just the way it goes confirmation like, bias baby Totally. Everybody wants to see the good stuff. Nobody wants to see the bad. I'm as an investor, I want to see some of the bad stuff. So I'm, you know, I need a platform like yours where I know I'm not going to miss it. Right. So, but so to me, you're making predictions, you know, sometimes they're small, sometimes they're big, but it was, it was pretty fascinating to see, you know, on your Twitter, you kind of went out on a limb and made a really big prediction on the idea that um, Kronos could be bought by Altria, and that's why their financials were delayed. Yeah, which was apparently not correct, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I joked this weekend that mm-hmm. maybe Altria is going to buy Harborside because they haven't yeah. had a date either. But <laughs> so th- there's a, a couple of things to unpack there. So first of all, people listening to this need to understand. Look, I know who who but, butters my bread. It's my subscribers at 420 right. Investor, and but I also, in full disclosure know that you know I work with companies through New Canvas Ventures. And so I, I have to thread a needle all the mm-hmm. time. And so how I use my Twitter feed, how I use the New Cannabis Ventures newsletter it is really subject to these constraints. I can't give away generally what I'm what people are paying me for at 420 Investor, mm-hmm. or that would defeat the whole business model. Sure. And would piss a lot of people off. And then I also, you know, I, I I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter saying bad things about companies. Uh, what I say usually about companies, if it's bad, uh, it would be like stock promotion type stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't mind talking about that. But I, I generally do not use Twitter or the New Cannabis Ventures newsletter to say bad things or good things about companies. It's just mm-hmm. not what I use those for. I do that freely at 420 Investor. I mean, sometimes to the point where I, you know, I've lost a lot of subscribers over the years for my negativity on canopy growth, but you know, I don't care. That's, I'm not going to let that business decision impact me. But so I I have to be careful what I say, but while I think I I could be wrong, I'm not willing to admit it yet, by the way, Manish, but, uh, (laughs) and I'll explain why, but uh, in this case, I have been speaking for a, a while at, at, at uh, 420 Investor about my views on Altria and Kronos. And so I, I was already somewhat positioned. I actually, after I put that on Twitter, I doubled my position. So it wasn't like I was front running. I waited till after. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've been talking about this and I'll talk more about it in a moment. And, you know, I felt like this is a big call. And, you know, if you have a really big call and you're right, you're going to be a hero. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe people will decide I'm an idiot when it's all said and done uh, if I'm wrong. But I think a lot of people 
because what we what I ended up doing was I put a tweet out on you know on Twitter. I guess that's where you put tweets. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I just said I you know, I shared this thinking and uh, and I felt like it wasn't really fair to just do that. So I followed up with the New Canvas Ventures newsletter, and it was literally one of the ones I'm most proud of, even if the outcome is incorrect, because I think it really did a good job of opening people's eyes to something they weren't seeing. And uh, so even if it's not correct, uh, I've made a great case on why I think why Altria should buy uh, Philip Morris. And, and I was very careful. I didn't predict that they will be. All I said was, look, this is very odd that Kronos Group hasn't announced a date. And it could be this because I think this is going to happen at some point, And it could be now because of this delay. So I, I have to tell you, this is so frustrating to me to not really understand what's going on about this. But uh, just for people that may not be following it, uh, so so that newsletter went out Sunday. And Monday, this is, you know, I said earlier about November 5th and the MSOs took off on this Nancy Mace rumor. And so Monday, November 8th, these stocks were going to go up anyway. Mm-hmm. And so Kronos led the way. And, you know, I think some people were excited by what I said and maybe interpreted to, you know, to be a buy signal for them. And, and I don't blame them necessarily, but that stock was up 25%. I didn't advise anybody to sell a single share or anything. Um, and then the, for whatever reason, Kronos said nothing that day, not a peep. Mm-hmm. And then Tuesday morning. They're probably hoping it could go up 20% a day for, for the foreseeable no, future. <laughs> I, I don't know why, Manish. I don't understand. Tuesday morning, they did finally put out a, uh, something. I don't know why they waited till Tuesday morning. They could have done this earlier. And sure. I don't know why they didn't do it Monday. But Tuesday morning, they said that they're thinking about, uh, well, you know, I should read this thing. It made so little sense to me. Uh, Cresco had a similar size write down of the Origin House acquisition. Mm-hmm. They didn't delay their filing. Look, everybody knows that they paid way too much for this insider pocket lining uh, deal. That everybody knows what a failure Lord Jones was, is. Mm-hmm. And of course they're going to write it down. Like, who cares? I don't even care. I don't factor. Uh, intangibles and goodwill into any analysis that I do, unless the the company's heavily indebted and the uh, uh, debt to equity and it doesn't strip out tangibles for some reason, then it would be important. I can't think of any other reason why anybody would care, you know, about the amount of goodwill. I, I get it. People do judge companies that take impairments as having done bad deals. Well, we already know that. So there's no yeah, news there. So here's my question to you, Manish, as an investor. Why is it taking so long to do this? What, what's the holdup on this? I have no idea. I have no idea either. And so I, I don't want to be a tinfoil, a tinfoil hat person. But no, You came to the right place. But, I, but what I'm thinking, <laughs> what I'm thinking is that I'm on to something actually. And, you know, first of all, companies do clean up their balance sheets before uh, M&A. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that, that, I don't want to hang my hat on that. I, more to the point, I, I have no idea why they are two weeks late already mm-hmm. on reporting. More than two weeks. They are actually three weeks late on reporting, all because they can't decide on 
something they're, they're writing the whole thing off anyway i don't understand i think it right. was a smoke screen but anyway right. but so, so but so fundamentally alan and this is what i wanted to get to right because to me it's one thing to make a call but it's another thing to get into the why right uh-huh. behind it so maybe you could just explain a little bit about why you still feel this way why you feel it would make sense sure. for altria to absorb chronos so let, let's be really clear i don't particularly care for chronos mm-hmm. uh uh, that insider lining pocket lining deal is one reason for sure. Uh, mm-hmm, that really mm-hmm. rubbed me wrong on day one and every day since. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a big fan of big tobacco or anything. I know that bothers a lot of people. It, it doesn't bother me so much, but I respect how that bothers other people that these, you know, cancer pushers are just looking for another way to make money. But, uh, the, so for better or worse, Altria decided uh, Kronos was the right partner for it back in 2018. And the way they structured that deal was they, they bought a very large stake, and but not controlling stake. And then they mm-hmm. took warrants, which are now way out of the money, okay. and which now uh, expire in March of 23, so not that mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. There is a corporate governance issue here because they control the board right now, which I don't think that's right the way that went down that, okay. you know, they get to control the board, even though they don't necessarily, they could control the company if they exercise the warrants. But so here's my thinking. First of all, it's a really good strategic fit. The, the two companies are both kind of asset light. They both mm-hmm. see eye to eye. Uh, everything I hear and read is that they, they love each other and get along. Okay. So it's a good fit. Everybody knows that the eye on the prize is, is, they actually have two potential prizes. This biosynthesis thing, I've never given a lot of credit, but I'm, mm-hmm. but I will admit it could be big, mm-hmm. uh, and they they have some first mover advantage there, and that, that's the kind of thing that would fit well with with Altria as well. But mm-hmm. but really, the the prize is, and this is what's, this is the urgency of doing the deal now. It's two parts, but the urgency is because the the prize is the U.S. and uh, there's nothing that precludes Altria from buying Kronos right now. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people get confused. Like, how can they own it? Of course they can own it. There's Yeah, sure. They're board they're, listed, no problems. Yeah. So the reason why it becomes urgent uh, is, uh, so first of all, the stock price is low right now. How much lower are they going to get Kronos? So that, mm-hmm. It's trading close to tangible book value. Uh, about one. Now it's even lower than when I wrote, but it was about one and a half times. Mm-hmm. And they don't bleed that much cash. And a lot of that tangible book value is cash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kronos is very small in market cap uh, compared to uh, Altria. So it, it would have almost no financial implications. But here's the bigger point. Besides, it's a good price and there's a good fit right now. So we already saw Kronos Group take a, a stake. I think these deals are risky, by the way. The, the Canopy Wanna deal, extremely risky. And for it's less risky for Kronos because, A, Kronos isn't borrowing money at 10% to yep. do it. And B, you know, the way they went about it, it, it it's smaller uh, relative to their uh, well, I don't know if that's exactly true to their market cap, but certainly smaller relative to their uh, parents, potential parents market cap. So I think these deals uh, could be smart, actually, but you got to do them right. So we know that Pharmacan wants to go public and mm-hmm. it could be that they could just get an option, keep it private and get an option on the whole company. But that's going to cost them instead of $110 million, it's going to probably cost them a billion or so. They could take all their cash right now and do that, I guess, but that mm-hmm. would not be prudent because they'd run out of money and uh, what have you. So 
if Altria is on board, and I assume they are because they control the board of directors and did that Pharmacan deal, mm -hmm. this is the time to start locking up more assets potentially. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you, Kronos does not have the balance sheet to go big. For, mm. for Altria, it's a drop in the bucket. And all, I, I don't know. I don't follow Altria that closely. I don't know if you pay attention to it at all. Not at but, all. You know, it, it's basically priced like a dead company. It pays mm. a big dividend. It has a very low PE. It has some debt, but, you know, it's not particularly over leveraged or anything. And, you know, the market cap of, I, I put this in on New Canvas Ventures exactly. I'm not remembering the precise numbers and they've changed a little bit, but you look at Constellation in the market cap of Canopy Growth. And Constellation is much smaller than Altria and, and Canopy Growth is much bigger, especially mm -hmm. you know, when you're doing enterprise value. And uh, so the fact of the matter is through Kronos, which has the exclusive right to do anything cannabis related with Altria, hmm. they could really put together a nice package of assets and that Kronos couldn't do on its own. So bring mm -hmm. in, bring in, and people might be comfortable with that. They might be more comfortable selling you know, these options to a, a larger company, but I don't know. These options are kind of scary too, Manish. We can talk about that because, you know, uh, I read the Nancy Whiteman interview and she's a lovely person. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, I just think she doesn't get it. There's things she saw, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, maybe she gets it more than I think. She just got paid 400 plus million for maybe not having to do anything. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to disagree there. I was like, I think she gets it pretty good the way no, she no, got no. paid. If you listen to what she talks about and why she's doing it, okay, she just, she, I don't think she thought that part through. If you read these interviews, she didn't think through about well, what happens if they can't buy you. So right, sure, I, I, she'll be yeah, happy so, she gets to keep her money and go back to ground, you know, square one. But yeah, I mean, if you get paid 100% of the- right. The company, or more well, than one hundred percent of the company it was like 80, value, eighty-five percent. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, we could argue about what Juana's worth, right? But it, that's a huge, huge number to put on that on a good company for sure. Yeah. Uh, hey, but, when when good things happen to good people, but I'm, what I'm saying is, she, I don't think she thought through mm -hmm. how complex this is going to be. And fair, know, okay. In, in all fairness to these people doing these deals, it doesn't require legalization, and so if you strip yep. that part away, all it requires is a change in, in, in the per ability permissibility, yeah. I think Bruce yeah. Linton used to say, right? Yes, exactly. So, so sorry, go, going back to this Kronos Ultra thing, right? Cause this is what I wanted to dig into is that so many people end up seeing that, Oh, you know, what doesn't matter really how you said it, Alan, what people hear and what gets passed around is Alan Brockstein says Kronos is getting bought yesterday, right? Yeah. Like that's what, that's how it's interpreted. Stock goes up. So then people go, well, it must be true. Cause the stock is up. So uh, they, they chased it and then it's my fault. <laughs> right. But, but, the, but the interesting thing to me that gets lost is why did he say that? Right. So right. like, what's the, what was the thinking behind it? And uh, you've, you've kind of laid out a lot of really good blocks of it. So I just want to make sure we're following along. Right. It's that it's that Altria has given Kronos the exclusive right for anything. Cannabis Altria is this company that has to do something because you know, it's, it's, as you said, it's, it's kind of trading like a, like a cigarette butt or a cigar yep, butt that yep. is eventually going to be a nothing, right? So, and unlike Constellation Canopy, um, Kronos has much smaller losses and represents a much smaller part of Ultra's market cap. So, Especially can, on an enterprise value because they have a lot of cash. Because no they have a lot of cash. Okay. Yep. But now here's what the urgency is, if I'm understanding. It's that the cash balance 
in the in the Kronos account is like, is it still roughly a billion? Is that, uh-huh. is that right? Uh-huh. So that billion dollars, while you know that's a lot of money, maybe to get really creative and take full advantage of the sector, they need Altria's balance sheet. Yeah, and watch what's going on at Ianthus, for example, right? I okay. mean, there's an obvious uh, potential acquisition candidate, right? Well, so the pieces on the board, right? We've got Ianthus, which it, it looks like that is going to get taken over and, and essentially privatized, right? In, in, um, in, into the friends, into basically the same people, right? That Gotham is Kronos. So yes. yes, exactly, right? So so Gotham will control Ianthus. It, it is mo- most of and the money behind And their investors in Pharmacan, they got a lot of other assets right. out there as well. Right. Okay. So you think – so I guess to, if we expand it out a little bit, then what? So Altria now – Brings Kronos in. Like, what can they do with Altria's balance sheet that they can't do with Kronos's? Uh, so Kronos has a limited amount of a limited amount of cash. All they have is a billion. They will have to issue equity in mm-hmm. the, uh, at this point to do to do more, right? Unless they could get people to take their stock. I, I just think people would be more comfortable taking uh, the very cheap mm-hmm. uh, Altria stock. Uh, being you know, it's it, they could do five billion dollars easily. Mm-hmm. And put okay. it in, into the market, whereas Kronos couldn't do that. They don't even have a market cap that high. So you bring Kronos in house. So now you own, you know, all of it at a much lower price than you were originally planning with all your exactly. warrants. Exactly, and you're, you know, you're running out of time. I don't know how they'll they'll be able to extend those warrants or lower the price. Lawsuit Got city it. if they do that. Interesting, interesting. So, but now if you do a takeover, you know, you can sort of figure that out. But more importantly, you know, you're supercharging the balance sheet, and now you can instead of being limited to a billion, you could think a lot bigger. You could do two, exactly. three billion dollars right. at a time when the industry, as we've talked about, is trading relatively attractively. Right. Bingo. So n- now the Altria story becomes much more about the future and cannabis, and there's a much more straight line forward, you know, as opposed to being one step removed through Kronos and and you know. But more importantly, you can go bigger now if you bring it in house. You, you summarized it perfectly, and I, I think you know there, there there are people out there who. I think they're kind of bean counters, Manish, and they mm-hmm. they say, well, you know, they can't afford to do that. It's, I mean, they're already recognizing uh, uh, they mark to market their position, so it's it, it already has had a negative impact on their balance sheet, uh, and, and it flows through uh, those mark to market losses. They're they're not operating losses, but it it does flow through to net income. Uh, but so a lot of people are saying, you know, Kronos. They don't want to bring Kronos in because of the impact it would have. I mean, there's like no impact. It's like <laughs> teeny tiny. It's nothing. It's it's literally an odd lot. And so I don't get that. What I get, and, and I've seen some other people on Twitter that were you know intrigued by my idea, they're like, you know, this could add a couple of multiple points to, to in market, you know, to the market cap uh, in PE multiple points, and uh, uh, by by giving people some you know something to think about in the future. Yeah, so like I just pulled it up, and and Ultra does like five billion of revenue a quarter. Is that right? Yes, they have enough cash. They could just take Kronos in with their cash on their balance sheet. Jeez, that is an insane number. I didn't never right. realize it was it was that big. So yeah, okay, great. I didn't either really until just a, a couple of months ago. I started to look into it, and I was really intrigued by this idea of you know both Constellation and Ultra face this problem, but I think it's so much harder for Constellation to take in Canopy, and you know. Uh, uh, Canopy has somehow gone through four billion. I, I had this great chart in uh, uh, one of our n- newsletters that we've done in the last couple months about you know Canopy's evaporating cash. And, and, and by December thirty first, they're going to be you know I think slightly more debt than cash. Believe it or not. Oof. 
But you know, yeah. Kronos is because Kronos. The biggest complaint about Kronos, besides the fact they line their pockets uh, with those insider deals, is that they really haven't done that much. And mm-hmm. well, that's kind of the definition of asset light, probably. And mm-hmm. uh, I think in some ways, I don't want to praise them for not doing much, but they were right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it was, you know, it's not like they excelled at doing nothing, but they just mm-hmm. somehow stumbled into doing nothing. And that's been smart. They haven't had to write down as much inventory or assets as uh, some of their peers. Yeah. And, and look, now they're sitting on, you know, back in the day, a billion dollars for a Canadian LP was not a lot of money, right? I mean, they, they had probably two billion back then, but you know, now a billion is a lot of money. If you want to go and, and use it for U.S. plant touching through these convert structures, yep, uh, you can do a lot of damage with a billion. With two or three, you could and, you could and, build and, a, a huge company. And just to repeat a point, because I think it's important, and I didn't, I didn't say it loud enough. So I don't think that people would necessarily take Kronos stock, even mm-hmm. though, like, I might overall trade. I don't know. You know, it's trading close to tangible book value, and they have some stuff going on. I don't know, but. The Morris, the Altria stock, Mo, is uh, uh, I think uh, they might have luck getting people instead of doing cash to take uh, stock. Right. Well, their stock is as good as cash, right? I mean, in terms of the liquidity. So so that's my go big idea. If if Altria wants to go big in cannabis, it goes through Kronos. They can't just leave Kronos sitting out there and let them get big. Uh, you know, if they get big and their stock price goes up, but not to the point where it's above the warrant price and all that, it gets messy. I just, I don't know. I'm really, I've had a lot of ideas over the years. I got to tell you, even though I, I feel a little bit uh, disappointed with, uh, you know, I went out on a limb as I, I use those words. I'm going out on a limb here. You know, this is not a prediction necessarily, but this is, you know, something that really could happen. And uh, and it didn't, it appears to not have, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, it, you know, it's just a little bit of a delay. Well, here's the other thing too, right? I'll, I'll say just to close this loop on this is like, you know, uh, the reason I wanted to bring it up was because it, it was interesting to me to see that it was a good opportunity for all the people who don't like you to sort of pile on. Um, and I just thought it was funny because, you know, if, if you're, if you never want to be wrong, just never have an opinion. That's I mean, what I said. Exactly. You know, you know if, never, if, never you're, if you're not willing to be wrong, you'll never be right. Well, and, and you know, to you know, you did it in a really big way because some people have predictions that are gonna maybe maybe come true, maybe not in six months or twelve months. Most people don't have a prediction that in the next five days you're gonna find out if it's true or not, right? Right. So so that's that's an interesting thing. But my point is, and why I appreciate the service is like it's it's big ideas it's not always but it's it's original thinking but there's a why behind it it's not just to say that hey this is going to happen it's, oh because the, 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 the chart looked yeah, good exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the chart exactly somebody whispered in my ear at a convention this might no it's like <laughs> this is the thinking behind why it makes sense and you know i don't pay much attention to chronos uh i am an investor in pharmacan so you know i did get a, a check from them when they did the deal so so thanks to them for that but Ultimately, you know, Altria with its balance sheet size, et cetera, is not to be ignored. And if you if you start putting the pieces together, it gets pretty interesting on what could happen. Yep. You know, right? and I've I've had a lot of success in calling LP uh, mergers in the past. <laughs> I haven't gotten them all, but I, I really seem to have a, a line into Canopy, which I promise I didn't. But uh, 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 one of my largest positions was Metrum. Then mm-hmm. uh, before that, Bedrican. Uh, Supreme. 
Supreme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was post-Linton even. Yeah. So uh, then there was uh, Med Relief was one of my big positions that Aurora mm-hmm. bought. I did not have Canamed. I couldn't at the time. because we're, we're going old school here. These are yes, these throwback but, tickers. But the, I had Doja uh, as well. So it was another Canopy acquisition. Uh-huh. But so more recently, I haven't had... I had 48 North, believe it or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to brag about that one. That was a take yeah, sure. But sure. Uh, So I don't know. I could be wrong. I definitely, I've been wrong before, but uh, I think you, you said it best. If, if you're you know, not willing to be wrong, you'll never be right. So let's, you know, we're coming to the very end here. I just want to pick your brain on a couple kind of sure. closing ideas. So um, talk to me about how do you see things unfolding and how do you think about investing in the industry if we don't get safe, you know, in the NDAA, um, how do you see the rest of the year playing out? How do you think about sort of the immediate future? Let's say the first yep. two quarters of the next year and going forward. Yeah, the end of the year is tough. I, I have this gnawing, sick feeling that uh, that this year is the exact mirror of last year, and that doesn't mm-hmm. bode well for the next five weeks. But with that said. Uh, uh, you know, there's no catalyst at all for the market to go up unless something happens, like you said, with uh, safe. And I, I, I don't get as excited about that as others do. Okay. Uh, uh, if there were language in there, you know, that was explicit for the exchanges, I get really excited. I, I think mm-hmm. that is a wild card of, of all wild cards. And, uh, uh, you know, but I, I, I see what's going on right now. And I feel like... Uh, so one of the technicals that I talked about this year was this whole idea. In February, the technicals looked a certain way to me. I'm going to just keep it short by not going mm-hmm. into it. But I, I kept saying for the next six or seven months, I said, I really wish I could say that the opposite is, is the case now. And, uh, and it, that became the case finally, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, we were oversold and the, the trend had been going too, too long in one direction. So uh, I... Some of these stocks have already started to change this big, big thing. But I guess what I'm saying is I, I, I talked about this divergence, about this divergence earlier. And uh, the divergence uh, uh, that we're looking at right now is showing some real leadership in the leaders. You know, that GTI mm-hmm. bounce was a hell of a test. And people were, you know, really scared that GTI was going to miss for the first time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we... You know, the big five, with the exception of uh, Cureleaf, which really stunk up the joint, the, the big five really had, you know, they, they basically met the expectations and certainly didn't paint a, a, a super negative picture. But then you look beneath that, it really wasn't as bad as people feared. So I guess in the very short term, uh, I think that this bounce that we're seeing in the very largest MSOs maybe says the worst is over. And I think people have been fearing tax law selling, and there's been a lot of that going on, in my opinion. So uh, I, I don't really care as much about the next five weeks, you know, in a year okay. end. I, I'd, I'd like for the market to go up. Uh, the I think we were saying earlier before we started, you know, the the cannabis market last year plunged in the beginning of the year, and then it rallied. But at the, at the end of the day, the whole market, as measured by the global cannabis stock index, was only up about 5%. That's mm-hmm. not very exciting. And so this year, we were up a ton at the beginning, and now we're down you know, a few percentage points as well, maybe a little bit more than a few, but maybe slightly double-digit right now still. But uh, I, you know, I, I feel like investors uh, can c- 
could come to the conclusion if we have a, a negative year, or you know, I'd like to end up double digit that you know, just never going to make money in cannabis. And, and I know that's not true. My model mm-hmm. portfolios have done a lot better than the market, but you know, the market is the market, and it's full of you know some really crappy companies like Flora Growth or whatever. Uh, but <laughs> you know, but they trade on the Nasdaq. They are in cannabis. They're highly mm-hmm. liquid. They're they're cannabis companies. They really are. But uh, so. But into next year, and I, I should probably be doing this. I haven't really laid out uh, my uh, kind of my uh, what I expect for next year, and I don't typically do those end of the year prediction type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, would have been interesting if I did that at the end of twenty. But I, I always have kind of a rolling outlook, and so Manish, I'll, I'll tell you, I think New Jersey legalizing. Mm-hmm. Or not legalizing has been very disappointing this year, and yeah, sure. I think that legalizing is very important because several of the companies have have been stockpiling inventory, and this is you know we're talking about the the New York metropolitan area, and uh, I I think you know I I can remember many many years ago I knew Whole Foods very well, being a Texan, mm-hmm. and. You know, the East Coast didn't know it at all. And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden they open up a Whole Foods in Columbus Center. Is that what it's called? Columbus Circle. And uh, and all of a sudden Whole Foods stock just takes off. Like mm-hmm. not because necess- – it was it was multiple expansion. Sure, the, the, the company was doing well. But uh, similarly, uh, I think New Jersey is, is going to be a media frenzy when – yeah, people in the tri-state area are, are seeing these stores, and they show the traffic on the bridge. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding; they won't show that because there's mm. always traffic on the bridge. But uh, so I, I think that's one thing that we will be looking forward to, and that gives me some real optimism about next year. I, I can't really handicap very well the political stuff. Uh, sure. I mean, I think it's always a possibility that we get some sanity. I mean, to me, it's insane that power companies that provide power to both illegal and legal cannabis companies are allowed to trade uh, and, 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 you know, cannabis companies aren't, then you get it even more insane. Well, how is it that grow generation can, can trade on these exchanges when they're taking their money launderers, right? By <laughs> definition. So the whole thing's insane to me. So can't we just get some sanity? And so, uh, you know, I can't predict what's going to happen with the politics, but I will tell you, I'm a huge fan of, and I never even knew of her till this, but you know, I've been learning more about uh, Nancy Mace and, mm-hmm. you know, she's not a poser. She's, she, she has a personal connection to cannabis. She mm-hmm. was very much involved with the CBD laws in South Carolina. Hmm. And she's taken a very, uh, not only is she, is her approach well thought out and practical, um, but she also, I listened to her press conference. She really presents it well. And so hmm. everybody who follows the industry closely understands the Republicans aren't necessarily against legalization, but they're, they're going to be slower about it and uh, they're going to approach it differently than the Democrats. But it, it is a bipartisan issue. And uh, I, I, I said early this year that the Schumer triumvirate was going to be dead on arrival. And I wish I would have really understood better what that meant because it's like I said earlier, people are investing on the the possibility of quick federal legalization, which I knew wasn't going to happen. And, you know, Schumer and his, his uh, 
group have really blown it. Uh, they, they, they should have been incremental. There's things that they, they, they could have gotten past uh, with, uh, you know, the Democrats controlling. So before the, with uh, the Republicans controlling the Senate, everything was getting blocked. Nothing was getting discussed. And now things uh, have the chance to get discussed. And I, I haven't yet seen, there has not yet been uh, a Senate counterpart to this Republican uh, congressional legislation, but right. I get the feeling that 2022, we're going to see a lot more talking. And this is what I've been hoping we would see because there was zero, zero talking in the Senate. And there are things that everybody can agree on, I, I mm -hmm. believe. And if they could, I think the safe banking, if done right, i.e. to allow uh, the exchanges to list, it, it is a total game changer. So I can't predict yeah. it, but I think that's going to really, uh, New Jersey and that are going to be two of the most important things next year. Yeah, no, great, great points. And so look, very last thing here is because I, uh, you know, it would be uh, a shame not to ask you. Um, I think last time you were on, or maybe the time before that you talked about GW Pharma uh -huh. and, uh, that got acquired, you know, not too long after. So I would love briefly as we exit here, maybe if you could talk about what some of your favorite picks are right now, kind of where they're where they're at and and why you like them. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm, I'm reluctant to share my favorite picks, and I also there's a couple of reasons. One, people are paying for them, and two, it's it's that same thing. Like, well, I bought this stock because Alan said to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I like to talk more about subsector. So. But, but I'm going to sure. do something a little bit different. Okay. So one of the things that's burned me in the past uh, is getting on board. Uh, so I've learned not to get on board a company too quickly. And I made an okay. exception earlier this year. I, I was one of my big mistakes this year, besides the one I'm about to talk about in general, was uh, the idea of uh, California was going to have a good year. And I, boy, was I wrong about that and paid right. the price. So, so anyway, I kind of broke my rule in uh, got behind uh, the parent company, and that's been, you know, complete disaster. Uh, so I, I like to be very careful with new companies. So, mm -hmm. but I, I'm just going to say, without saying these are my favorite names because they're not necessarily. And, and I do feel like uh, investors in bull markets get overly excited about new companies, and in sure. bear markets, I think. The opposite may be true. So I've really opened up to both Verano and Ascend. I know you like Ascend. I don't know your view on a Verano. But, uh, <laughs> people, people at home are laughing because it's Because like, they know uh, both. You like yeah. both. No, so, I probably have Verano tattooed on my neck at this point. Is that so, <laughs> so Sorry, I didn't know that. But the uh, but so, so these are names that I've kind of tried to look past. And I've waited. I waited and waited and waited. So it's not like I jumped in on day one. I'm very cautious on new names. That, and the reason for that is there are some people that have low basis stock that want to sell. And sure. the stock isn't necessarily, because of the tight float at first, isn't necessarily reflecting uh, uh, equilibrium and supply and demand. So anyway, so the idea, I guess, that I would share I'll, I'll name those two names, but just to, to, to add a little context to it, I mean, I, I think these are, are, are both companies that are suffering from uh, uh, timing. And, uh, you know, they've been hit with unlocks and uh, that's part of it. But the timing that, uh, you know, people aren't looking for new ideas right now. So mm -hmm. I think when the market gets better and it is getting better, and Verano has had a great bounce, but Ascend is 
going to be renamed Descend at this point. So that, that's, that's, that's just a general idea, not really trying to pick those names per se, but just a general idea that there, there probably are some newer names that have come to market at a bad time and that, that it might be worth acting on now. And, you know, uh, I, I mean, I don't have a position in Glasshouse and there's some issues there that would keep me from doing so right this moment, but that's perhaps another example, or I'll, hmm. I'll give you another real-time positive example. Uh, I, I, I have a personal, it's very personal problem with uh, WM technology. And I really, and the problem is I really despise uh, what they did to uh, the, the legal cannabis markets by continuing to service the illicit markets. I, I, right. mean, I don't hold that back. I say it. I also am an analyst and I also know that people make mistakes and, and they've paid the price for that, right? And in the reset, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. so it'll always probably be something that I, I will mention ad nauseum, but I have, that's another one that broke recently. And I, I finally added a position in that because I think it's a pretty good deal, but it, it may be scaring people off because it's a new name. Now it was one of those ones that attracted a lot of people at first and they got I guess what you know happens when you chase that shiny toy. So that's one idea, and then uh, I'll just finish it up. Uh, so I uh, told you I do these three articles a month, and I share them, and then they get published in my monthly newsletter. And the third one that I did, I published a week ago, and it was on value stocks. And uh, okay. so I, you know, my background, I'm not an aggressive growth investor which sometimes makes this a hard sector for me because I think the mentality of a lot of people's aggressive growth. And I'm also not really a deep value investor. To me, mm -hmm. the best kind of stocks are good companies at good price, at, you know, better than good prices, but, you know, a good or better than average company at a good or better than average price. Right. So, kind of, you know, some might call that growth at a reasonable price. So anyway, I shared six names. I'm not going to go over all of them, but, uh, but I will say, uh, uh, you know, they crossed sectors. There was a California operator that's that's trading under two times tangible value. And, and by the way, there's some big bargains in California, in my opinion, but, mm -hmm. you know, people hate that market right now. There were a couple of uh, LPs, and uh, I, I talked about Kronos as being one of them. I think that is, believe it or not, it's now a value stock, and mm. it's certainly not a growth stock. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, if you try to value it, and this, this is where people get hung up. They say, well, it only trades at this time's revenue or this time's enterprise value, and, you know, they don't want it. So they don't understand necessarily the value creation drivers. But, but uh, I'll, I'll just say the other one. I think Organogram, uh, which I, sh I have good timing on my sharing of that one. Uh, uh, so that was, uh, I bought that for the first time in a very long time, the day before they reported, which, you know, that can be kind of dangerous buying mm -hmm. a stock before they report. Uh, so, th so there were, was uh, uh, the California MSO operators, two, two LPs, there was a uh, ancillary name or two. So I guess there's another takeaway there. There, there is some value, and I, I think that people should be paying attention to some of these uh, baby in the bathwater situations, maybe, sure. and also just reinforcing that point I made earlier. Like, look, I'm I'm very heavily skewed towards MSOs right now. I really think they're attractive, but I'm not all in. I mean, I have other types, and I'm seeing other types of stocks that make a lot of sense. And you know, there's some smaller Canadian LPs that that look really interesting to me as well. So I, I guess you know, I'm seeing names beyond the MSOs and. Uh, more recently, the ancillary names that have been just hammered, finally, mm -hmm. 
look, you know, there's some real attractive names there too. Got it. Alan, listen, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. I, I think the balanced approach, as you say, and, and kind of looking at all the different angles will serve people really well. Um, like I've said many times, I'm an investor, uh, or sorry, I'm a member of a 420 investor. Um, and it's to me a phenomenal resource. So, uh, Alan, I'll, I'll put your links in the bottom of this episode. Thank you everybody for listening. CIN podcast at gmail.com until next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.